Before I get into my message, can I just say, it's coming home. I feel a lot happier to preach this morning knowing that we are... Uh, <laughs> might have shouted a little bit at the telly last night. Um, you know, I'm so thankful for the, the songs that you chose. And even what you said before about the church taking its real mask off and hiding it because it's kind of, it's what my message is this morning. And before I get into my message, I just want to say, not that you really need to know, but a bit of insight into how we get our messages at church. And I know Tim and Nick are the same, but if I could speak on behalf of you two, that we don't really choose our messages. There's so much that I could talk about. It's very much spirit-led. And to me, it's a great honour to know that, God, this is what's on your heart then. And you've trusted me to share this with your people. And so, last week, um, we were away and I was in this place where I know God, he'll he'll speak to me. I know that that's where he'll speak to me. And I'm walking and I know, God, okay, I'm just waiting right now. It's exciting. It's the most exciting place I can ever be. God, you're about to speak to me. And I am waiting with excitement and anticipation. And I'm walking and all I can hear is Luke 15. Come straight to my spirit, Luke 15. I didn't know what it was. Luke 15. And so I opened it. So if you want to go there to Luke 15... Be a good start. And the reason why I'm saying that is because that came into my spirit and the moment I opened Luke 15, God started to speak to me and show me his heart. And I love it because it's like, God, this is spirit-led then. Right now in this moment in time, with everything that's going on around us, this is what you want to say. You've got this on your heart. This is your word. And I suppose I'm also saying that because I don't want this to turn into a message where you think I'm telling you what to do or it makes you feel uncomfortable. To know that it's spirit-led, then then at least you know this isn't just Nathan and what Nathan wants to do. This is God. This is what you're speaking right now in this moment in time. So Luke 15. um, Jesus shares three parables Awesome, well-known parables. And the first one is the song that you've just sang about the lost sheep. And Jesus says that if if a man has a hundred sheep and one goes missing, will he not leave the 99 and go after the one that is lost until it is found? And the second parable is the lost coin. Where Jesus says, if a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one, will she not search her entire house until she finds it? And the last parable is the most famous parable, which is the parable of the lost son, which we know the prodigal son, which I think Tim has preached every angle, every word, that prodigal son. There's nothing left to preach about the prodigal son. I'm not even going to touch the prodigal son. That's Tim's. Which is intriguing because we have different backgrounds. So you'd have thought that would have been my heart, but it's yours. 
Because Tim's brought another aspect to the prodigal that doesn't just focus on the prodigal, but the father's heart. So, Jesus shares these well-known, famous parables. My question is, do you know why? Do you know why he tells us these three parables? It wasn't just story time with Jesus. If you go to Luke 15, verse 1, it says this, was 15, 1, verse, uh, 1 to 2. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I find it interesting if you read the NLT version that sinners have their own category. Tax collectors have their own category that they've been put in. But look at the NLT and see how it describes these people. It says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, not just sinners, notorious sinners, often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, notorious means famous or well-known for some bad quality or deed. It's not a good thing to be called notorious. I mean, I don't know what these sinners look like if they were like gangsters wearing chains and smoking pipes. I don't know. Like notorious B.I.G. is it? Too, I don't know. I don't know why on earth. But they, they were just not your average normal people just come to sit down. They were described as notorious sinners. And the Pharisees are complaining because they cannot comprehend, they cannot understand how Jesus... A man who's meant to be a teacher, a rabbi. How could he be sitting with these people? In fact, the NLT goes as far as to call them scum. That's pretty deep. That's a strong word. So the three parables are Jesus' response to the Pharisees' complaints, judgment and hypocrisy of the sinners. He doesn't just tell one parable. He tells three. That tells me something about Jesus. That tells me he cares deeply and passionately about these people that have been labelled as nothing but sinners. They've been cut off from society, separated, looked down upon, outcasts. And I find it amazing that Jesus... It's like he takes a stand in a moment in history. He steps into the gap between the sinners and the Pharisees and he begins to defend the ones that have been looked down upon. That's, that's pretty special. And that's not the only time that this happened. In Matthew 9 verse 10, the same thing happened. Matthew 9 verse 10, it says this, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, the same thing. 
But again, go to the NLT version to see how it describes these people once again. And it says this. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Disreputable means someone who is not trusted or respected in character or appearance, or to simply put, they have a bad reputation. And the Pharisees, again, they just cannot understand how Jesus is sitting, how Jesus is talking to these kind of people. But then the conversation takes a turn. And this is what got my attention. Because in Matthew, um, if Jesus once again, like he did in Luke, he responds by telling three parables. This time he doesn't respond with parables. He makes a strong statement. And in Matthew 11, verse 13, I'll read you Jesus' response. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Then verse 13 says this, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now verse 13. There's so much being said in verse 13. Uh, in verse 13, there's, this, there's one message to two different groups of people. So I want to split verse 13 into two parts and focus on the first part. So the first part which says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Do you know that Jesus is quoting from Hosea 6? Which is really interesting because Hosea chapter 6 is titled, A Call to Repentance. And verse 1 says, come, let us return to the Lord. Now Hosea himself was a prophet. And he's most well known for marrying Gomer who was a prostitute. It was God's way of, of saying to Israel... I know that you've left me to go worship other gods, but I still love you, and I will bring you back to myself. But that wasn't just uh, Hosea's only message. Hosea's main message to Israel was to repent of its sin of apostasy and to warn them of the judgment of God. That's quite a strong word. Apostasy. The definition of apostasy is the act of leaving behind or straying from your religious or political beliefs or your principles. Another word for apostasy is backsliding, you could say. When a Christian becomes a Christian and then leaves their faith and they're no longer classed as a Christian. That's, that's quite a strong statement. But then it got me thinking... It's very important to notice not just what Jesus says, but where he is when he says it. Because that will give you an indication to who he's speaking to. So taking all that into account, quoting Hosea, what Hosea's ministry was, you would think that Jesus was speaking to the sinners. Because they're the ones that have left their faith 
They're the ones that don't believe in God. But Jesus specifically quotes from Hosea 6 verse 6. I want you to show mercy more than offer sacrifices. That tells me he's not talking to the sinners. He's directing his message to the Pharisees. Because Jesus, when he steps into the gap, and I want to show you something really beautiful right now. Look where he is when he's speaking. He sat at the table eating with the sinners. What a powerful demonstration of the love of God. He is sat with the very people that are being condemned and judged and cut off. The very people that, Jesus, that the Pharisees are condemning. There's the Son of God. And he sat eating with them. That is one of the most powerful statements Jesus could ever make in the whole entire Bible, apart from the cross. This is one of the moments where his actions speak louder than his words. But then what interests me is, he quotes Hosea, he sat with the sinners, so he's not speaking to them, but the first part of verse 13, he's directing his message to the Pharisees, because they're the ones that's meant to be the religious leaders. They're the ones that's meant to be leading the people of that time. They're the ones that are experts in their knowledge of the scriptures. They know who God is. But yet they have completely pushed away this group of people that Jesus is sitting with. And I just wonder if, just as Jesus in that moment, in that time of history, stepped into the gap, and took a stand for the sinners. And he's directing his message to the Pharisees. What if he's actually saying, you are the ones that are committing apostasy right now. You might not have left your religion, but what you have done is you've left the heart of God and the plan for his salvation for the people. Look, look what happens in, let me find it. In Luke 7, verse 28 to 30, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist better him being a messenger, better him being the greatest prophet. And this is what it says in the NLT version, Luke 7, verse 28 to 30. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, they've got their own category once again, agreed that God's way was right. For they had been baptized by John. But now listen to this. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them. For they had refused John's baptism. So Jesus is dealing with a people that have already rejected who he is. If they're going to reject the sinners, they won't accept who Jesus is. Because he came for them. I just wonder if God wants to speak to the church once again and just say, 
What if the issue is not with the sinners? What if the issue is with the church when we leave and step away from the heart of the Father? Because we've got too comfortable and content of where we are. This is what I meant by the beginning of, I'm not telling you what you need to do. And, and I'm not saying that we as a church have acted wrong. And Listen to what the heart of Jesus is saying. I'm the Son of God. I'm the one that's going to be put on that cross. And look where I am. They've been rejected, despised. But I see something different. I see something different that you don't see. You can't see past the religion. And man, if I had time, I could talk about what the religious spirit has done. The damage that it's caused has been horrific. I sincerely believe, and I've said it countless times, I believe the church has caused more damage than sinners. I believe the church has caused more damage in past times because of religion, because of certain theology and doctrine. That there are more Christians that have had to leave the church to find themselves instead of finding their identity within the very place they were called to be. So I'm thankful always to this church that provides a place and a foundation for identity of who we are. I know God's my father. I know Jesus is my saviour, but I know my journey that took me to get there. So now watch this. Because there is a reason and there is a purpose in everything that Jesus says. Remember, he says, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see the Father do. So he's already addressed the main issue. Isn't with the sinners because he sat there with them. He sat with the sinners directing his message to the religious leaders, saying the issue lies with you because you've rejected who I am. But then in a moment, the second part of verse 13, he turns his attention back to the sinners and he says this. Second part of verse 13. So you've got the first part which says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he says this. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, it would be very easy to turn this message into a call of repentance for sinners. And I'm not denying there needs to be a repentance. We need to own what we've done. We need to own who we are. We need to own and take responsibility for our actions and say, God, I know who I am. I know what I've done. And I ask you to forgive me. Absolutely, there needs to be a call for repentance. But that's just not what God is saying only. You've got to look behind sometimes religion. If the Son of God can sit with sinners, then maybe this is more than a call to repentance because maybe he sees something different that we cannot see yet. So the NLT says it this way, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. There's something so unique in knowing who you are. There's something so significant in knowing who you are instead of trying to be something you were never created to be. I love the fact that Jesus says, I have come to call those who know they are sinners. Why? Here's my message, right? And I'm even speaking to myself right now. For all those people out there that have been labelled 
and defined by your past mistakes and your weaknesses and your failures. And you've been called a sinner. You've been called whatever. You've been cut off from society. Here's my message for you this morning. God is calling you. Oh man, he has a purpose for your life and he's calling you. Jesus says, I have not come to call those that think they are righteous, but those that know they are sinners. There is a call right now from the heavens. If Jesus had a microphone, I absolutely believe in this moment in history where we are living right now, you would hear the words of Christ that would be, I am calling sinners. Not just to repentance, because I see something in you. I see a potential. I see a purpose. But you've been defined by your sin and it's held you in bondage. But what if we as a church have to take responsibility for our judgment, for our hypocrisy, for our actions? And what if we also need to repent? Because sometimes we can be like the older brother in the prodigal and we can do that. And let me just say this. I've done that myself. I have been hurt by people. I have been lied to and cheated. I've been attacked for my faith. I don't tell you everything that I go through. You might see this here, me preaching. And I said to Tim, people see us preaching on a Sunday. They don't see us on a Monday. When the attack comes in my family. Or a word that's said. Because we carry a very, and Nick will know this. There's a responsibility that comes with preaching, you know. And the devil don't like it. And I thought, Tim, just to say, I, I want to say thank you to you, what you said last week. It's very hard, for, especially for a man, to admit about mental health. And Tim touched on it last week. And it really spoke to my heart. And I want to say thank you to you, that you was brave enough to do that. There's more suicide in young men, because they don't know how to speak out. But what if the issue isn't with the sin it's because they've been told that you're nothing and you're not welcome. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that's this, this is the attitude of this church whatsoever. You understand what I'm saying? And I didn't choose this message. God just put something on my heart because he said, I want you to see something that I see. And just to finish... Because I've got another, about another hour's worth of message and notes. Which I fit into five minutes. There's a story that God led me to just this morning. And I wouldn't have even ever chose to preach about this message. Because it's been preached about more times. And I know it was Tina's, one of Tina's favourite messages. The woman with the alabaster box. And Tina used to preach about that message and she used to share it. And, and as I'm reading it, the Lord shows me, and, he's, and we all know the story. Just put your hands up if you know the story of the woman with the alabaster box. So you know that she comes and she wipes the tears on Jesus' feet. But do you know where she was when that happened? Do you know the, the scripture I just read from Luke 7, which says that the, the, the Pharisees rejected God's plan? If you go to verse 39... Um, ju well, just after that, from verse 39, a Pharisee invites Jesus to his house for dinner. And Jesus being Jesus, he goes. And they're all sitting. And this woman, which the Bible describes as a sinner, 
specifically says, a woman of the city who was well known, she was a sinner. She enters the house and she does what she does. First of all, what faith? She walked into a Pharisee's house. She was well known as a sinner. But Jesus was there. And she came and she sat at his feet and she wiped her tears and her hair. And she poured out the perfume. But God said, I want you to look at the conversation between Jesus and the Pharisee. So just go to, just go to it if you can in your Bibles. Because this is, this is kind of, I want to lead this on to why Jesus, why is Jesus calling sinners? Not just to repentance, because he sees a potential and a purpose. And I believe this is what it is. So Luke 7, I believe it's from... Yeah, 39. I'm just going to read the verses. I'm reading from the NLT version. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now note that, he said to himself, didn't say it out loud, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Just like the same Pharisees in Luke 15 and Matthew 9. How can you be sitting with sinners? Then Jesus, I love this, just be careful what you're thinking. Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver, to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. I never forget when I was struggling with condemnation and depression, Nicky Ditch texted me once. I'll never forget it, and it was short and sweet. And it said, He who is forgiven much, loves much. Works both ways. The act of this woman was so much more than just the alabaster box. And Jesus points it out in verse 44. He says, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, remember when Jesus in Matthew 9 was sat at the table with sinners, but he directed his message to the Pharisees. He's doing exactly the same thing again here. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she was washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins... Oh, wow, we've got the scriptures up on the back. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. But watch this. Then Jesus turns to the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. 
But before he spoke it out loud, he already told the Pharisee, she's already forgiven. What was the forgiveness? Her ability to show love. And in the, but, but what allowed her to show the love? It was Jesus accepting her for who she was. That's where the forgiveness came in. Right in that moment, actions speak louder than words in this moment. Before Jesus had to say, you know, we're very keen on telling people you need to say the sinner's prayer. God is already working on their hearts before he even needs to speak it out of his own mouth. In this very moment, it's an absolutely beautiful moment. Do you know that when the woman came into the house, do you know that she stood behind Jesus and the Bible said that she was just weeping? Finally, I have found someone that accepts me for who I am. And in that moment that Jesus received her, it gave her the ability to show the love that she actually possesses. That's why I believe God is calling sinners right now. I believe we are in a time that God is calling sinners. Yes, to repent. I understand that. But it goes beyond that. We are living in a broken world. Not just with coronavirus, but everything that's happened. The world has been turned upside down. And I don't believe it will ever go back the same as it was. We are living in uncertain times. So what does the world need right now? It needs a bit of love. It needs to be healed. There needs to be restoration. And what Jesus sees in the woman who's identified as a sinner compared to a Pharisee who's identified as a religious expert He sees the woman has the potential to love like Jesus loves. But it's been so restricted and confined and conformed to a religion. And what Jesus does, by simply receiving the woman, he exposes the love that she has. She loved on Jesus like nobody else. I see a calling right now. And I see a love that's coming out of people that they haven't allowed themselves to show. And I hear a calling from Jesus. If you're a sinner, if you've been conformed and defined and labeled, I've got a call on your life. You have a purpose in your life. I know that I am nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. I own that. But I am also the righteousness of God because of Christ. There's something special in owning who we are. And and I know I'm going over time, but just, just two more minutes. I had a word, not this Tuesday, the Tuesday before. No, three Tuesdays ago, actually, because the last Tuesday, there were some significant words that were spoken, and I asked him to send me the words again, and I'll share it next time. There were some really significant words spoken on the Tuesday prayer meeting. But when we were sat 
the Lord gave me a word from Ezekiel 37 about the dry bones. And I got up and I shared that word. And at that time, the main word was about, God said to me, do you know why the dry bones came back to life? It's because Ezekiel spoke to them. God said to Ezekiel, prophesy, son of man, and speak to the bones and tell them, I am going to put breath and flesh on you and you're going to come back to life. But I remember saying, I thought God is telling us we need to speak to the dead things in our life and tell them to come back to life. But I felt the Lord say to me, ask us as a church the same question that he asked Ezekiel. So let me just go to it and show you. Ezekiel 37, verse 3 to 5, again in the NLT, it says, Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? I just felt the Lord say to us, Church, see all the people that are around you and in your life right now that are hopeless and broken and have no future and are lost, do you believe they can come back to life? And then I felt that God says, just as he told Ezekiel to speak to the dry bones, that we can do that too. That we can speak to the dead things in our life right now. And we can have hope. There's some things that have been lost for so long that we've given up. I don't want to bring attention on this person, but you just ask Jean what she's experiencing right now. And how long she's been praying for her son. That will give you some hope. I just believe God is stepping in the gap again. And he's saying, church, do you know the power that you have when you begin to speak to the dry bones? You see all the people walking around and they've lost their hope. They're like the woman. They've been cut off from society. They're labeled and conformed and defined by their past. And they're not given any opportunity to show their true potential. And I thought God said, no. I needed Ezekiel to speak to the dry bones for them come to back to life. I need my church right now to speak my word to see the sinners come back to life. Because I have a calling. They have great potential. They will love people like some of us can't even love. And I mean that with no disrespect. He who is forgiven much, loves much. Amen? So just, just, let's just stand up and just pray. I probably haven't even given this message justice to the way God put it on my heart. And I, Lord, I apologize for that. You could, I could maybe tapped into more emotion. I could have gone a bit more deeper with things. But I know that it was his word. And Father, I just ask that you just draw us near. Because all I'm asking for is, we can have everything. We could have everything. But God, I want your heart. And I don't want to reject it when you show it me. And Lord, forgive me for my own heart and my own attitude. And for my own pride and blindness when maybe I have pushed somebody away. 
and I haven't seen you sitting, eating with the sinners. But I thank you right now that you came and sat with me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Amen. Amen. want to I very rarely comment on um, other people's preaching because I want you to remember what they say not what I have to say you know but it's just one of those moments where I feel I have to say something and it's what I saw in that story and in that message is sinners know how to meet with Jesus they always react they're always moved by him. They're always touched by him. They're, they're either broken to tears, they cry. They're, they're, everyone who meets him is affected by him. And that's one of the things that irritates me because Christians have forgot how to do that. They've forgot how to meet with him and be touched by him. There's no wonder we don't want to tell people about it because we don't know how to bring them to him because we don't know how to come ourselves. So a bit harsh to finish off, and I'm listening to myself play <laughs> sorry about that but do you want to just turn that off on me babe? so however you do it just press the back button on the bottom right that's all anyway apart from that no the bottom right that's it just keep pressing it it'll go that's it thanks um thank you for coming this morning hope god's you know spoken to your heart and stirring something in you and we're, we're excited we're here tuesday night still waiting on god and just enjoying him he's just an amazing amazing god um it, we we thank all those who've been paying your tithes through the banks and whatever that's great we've got a box there if you've come and you've got money that sort of pink and silver box on there you can put some of that um i don't think there's anything else is the one no, thank you very much, everyone, and have a great day. And look forward to seeing you at the semi-final at the term at a Tuesday evening. <laughs> Bless you guys. Thank you. What you found? Hello everybody, make sure you congregate outside the church, thank you. Please make your way outside the church and do the chit chat out there, love you all very much.